Thank you, Anna. And uh, so great to see everybody. One year. Can't believe it's gone so quick. Uh, hope you got a donut. Good donuts, good donuts. I remember when we were at TJ, I would drive on Sunday mornings down Glebe Road, obviously heading to TJ, and there'd be this long line out in front of this place. I'm like, what is this place? And somebody finally told me, it's good company donuts, and those are very good donuts. Anyway, all right. Um, You might have seen the mature content when you came in. It's because we're going to talk about a difficult subject today, a sad subject. We're going to talk about divorce. And divorce is very, very, very rarely spoken of uh, in the Bible, but Jesus chooses to address it um, here. And so uh, um, I just want to be sensitive to that because many of us in this room have been affected by divorce one way or another. Uh, Either we have been divorced or we have a close family member that has, um, and um, So I'm particularly sensitive to that because my parents were divorced and my parents divorced when I was in my mid-20s. And I remember thinking at that time, um, wow, I I don't know how this would have impacted me if I had been younger, like in my teens or even younger than that, uh, because it like ripped the rug out from underneath me. I, I... who am I? And it was, it was so strange what happened to me. And I could have never understood that um, unless I went through it myself. And uh, of course, I hated going through it. But, you know, the biggest thing for me uh, and all of that is it really broke my mom's heart. And, um, you know, my mom very recently passed away. And just yesterday, we had my mom's celebration of life service, you know, right here. And so all of those thoughts are going through my mind. So I just want you to know this is, um, this is a sad topic. It's a painful topic, but it's also a very misunderstood topic. And the verses I'm getting ready to read um, are very challenging verses. So Jesus' audience that he spoke these words to, very challenging verses, but it challenged them in a much different way than it challenges us. And there's a, there's a very practical and natural reason why. And so really what I want to try to do today is I want to explain that. Like what, what, where's this coming from? What's going on? So here's, here's what Jesus says. Uh, This is again, the famous sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon ever preached in the history of the world. Jesus says, it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that Anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So those words don't land uh, the best for most of us when we read this today. Um, And the issue is this, um, this very challenging statement is it was very clear to them. They were very well-versed in the Bible, okay? The, the, Jesus' audience and Matthew, I mean, he's just so writing this so deep, understood. They understood the Bible. They understood it really, really well. They were clear on how the Bible worked, and they were clear on, um, on, on what the message of the Bible was. And they were in a culture that did not value people equally. We know this full well. They, they did not equally value people, inclusivity and equality. That, that just not happening, okay? That was actually looked down upon. And what this verse is saying, they know what it's saying. It's saying you need to value. I know it doesn't land that way for you, 
but it's saying you've got to value all people equally. That's what this verse is really saying. And they understood that because you, you never take a verse in isolation. That's not how the Bible works. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So it landed very differently. Okay, how does it land for us? For us, it's like, what? What are you talking about, man? That sounds like, for a lot of us, like that seems really unfair. Like the only reason to get divorced and, and some people to the extreme, and I really don't think this happened much, but there's always a story about it. Like somebody goes to church and like, I'm getting a divorce and we'll, you know, has there been an affair? No, but you know, I'm getting verbally or emotionally or physically abused or whatever. Well, tough, you know, you got it because you can't get, that's not what it's saying, but that's the way it lands for us. And they knew that. They They knew the Bible really well. So they knew that, adultery or an affair i've heard about people you know who have this total misunderstanding of these verses like i'm just praying for my spouse to have an affair so i can get out of this relationship uh, but they knew the bible well and they never took verses in isolation they understood what was going on and we don't now we live in a culture that at least we say verbally we value inclusivity or we say we value all people no matter where, nothing. It is like total, right? We value that. And we don't necessarily act like it, but we'll say we value it, right? And the reason we value it is, is because of this. Now, there are tons of people walking through the streets around here in, in this city. It's like, well, this, this has nothing to do with the fact that I value and love all people. But... I don't know. I mean, the history is pretty, pretty clear. I've talked on this too much, but this is why we have these values of like, yeah, we're all created equal and everybody, no matter your station in life, no matter the color of your skin, everybody's equal. This, this is why. So we've created a culture that's so infused with the culture of the Bible. It took a long time, but that's why we, that's why we believe that way. So, so we have the culture. They didn't have the culture. But they had the understanding of the Bible. That's why it challenged them in a culture that was against the Bible. Now we have the culture of the Bible in the West, but we have a total misunderstanding of the Bible. So we're all challenged in a, in a very different way. So I just want to set it up by saying that. So um, there, there is a natural progression going on in the words of Jesus. So he says in Matthew five seventeen, very important verse, I've come to fulfill the law. And then these three things hinge off of it, okay? Now I want to show you a picture, a picture of a swimming pool, okay? A swimming pool, um, this doesn't look like this was state, taken in the state of Virginia. It looks like Florida or something. But in the state of Virginia, we have a law. That if you have a pool, you have to have a fence around it. Anybody heard of that law before? You, you have, why? Why do you have to have a fence around it? It's very dangerous. Swimming pools are very dangerous. I mean, somebody, you know, could could die, you know, in a in a, in a swimming pool. We, I just mentioned a minute ago, we had the service for my mom yesterday, and my sister had a swimming pool in her backyard. And my my mom dove in like twice to rescue kids, not her own kids, the parties and stuff. And she was, my mom was a person of action. Anyway, so we put fences around it and because it's very, very dangerous. And this is the same thing. They understood what Jesus was doing. So there's, there's this progression. And this is the progression that, that I want to show you. Everything moves towards death. It's the second law of thermodynamics called entropy. So that naturally moves to disorder and to death. So I want to show you this thing. Okay, so this is where naturally everything goes. And what Jesus is talking about here is that you have to build a fence around dangerous things, just like a swimming pool. 
And so we're gonna back our way into this fence building thing that Jesus is talking about that will really help us because here's what's gonna rescue your relationships, change your world, change your life. And it actually works, right? We have studied this so well, it actually works. Now, here's the thing about divorce. We're told in Malachi chapter two that God hates divorce. God says, I, I hate divorce, right? I, I hate this. Why, why does God hate divorce? Because divorce is painful. Okay, I have, through my parents, been through it. I mean, God hates it because God loves us. It's a very terrible thing, right? But God's not trying to shame us. God's trying to protect us. God's trying to build a fence around the pain that we have been through. Here's what a lot of people don't realize, okay? Is that when Jesus talks about this or when the Bible talks about marriage or um, divorce, Human beings aren't the first person that is being thought of. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But here's the deal. Did you know this, that God has been divorced? So I just wonder when a lot of times shame is put on people for being divorced, do we realize that God himself says it in Jeremiah chapter three, I have been divorced. It's very clear that This wedding ceremony that takes place at Mount Sinai, because everything about the Ten Commandments and Mount Sinai and Moses and the giving of the law, the whole thing, because they knew the Bible so well, is a wedding ceremony. And God himself says, I have been divorced. The whole book of Hosea is basically about the marriage between God and, and his people. Whole book is about this. Ezekiel, major portions of it are about that. And like I said, Mount Sinai. And they knew that there was other reasons, physical, emotional, and financial reasons for divorce. Now, the first person that you would think of when you're talking about marriage and divorce in the Bible is not you and me. I mean, that's where you and I go to immediately, don't we? But that's not where their brains went to because they knew the Bible so well. They understood the Bible so well. The first person that they would think of was actually God. God's marriage. I mean, the Ten Commandments loom large in the Bible, okay? And like I said, that Mount Sinai event is a marriage ceremony. That's why three times God says, I'm going to require all the people, like if they want to enter into this covenant, a covenant of marriage with me, that they do it of their own accord. So they had to verbally respond. And every other covenant in the ancient Near East, you didn't have a choice. Like, you're in. Okay, you have a choice. You know, but this in a marriage situation, so they verbally consent. Yes, we agree. We want. Do you? I do. I do. I do. And that's what they do. And everything about it. So this is the first person they think of. So when Jesus is saying these words, everybody, a more biblical, correct way of looking at it, since marriage looms so large, and God is the first person we would think of, would God ever divorce his spouse? which is all of his children. Would God ever do that? There's a line in Numbers that says, is God a man that he should lie? Would God just cast aside his bride? Now, here's what we do know. Very similar. So why does God get divorced? God gets divorced because God refuses to trap us in a relationship. If we want to run away, like he'll be there, he'll be there, he'll be there. Like the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son was hell-bent on running away. And the father wasn't like, no, I'm going to 
put you in a room and lock the door. God would never do that. If we are insistent on running away and that's what the Israelites were and that's why God gets divorced from them and that's why God, you know, like all of us demand doing our own thing. This is where it comes from. But God says, I'm not a man that I should lie. I will never turn my back on you. I will always be here for you because I love you. I love you. I love you. And the Bible constantly gives us this divorce thing. Now, there's a lot more we could say about divorce. I want to bring up a book here. Uh, It's called Divorce and Remarriage in the Church. Now, there's two books written by the same guy, David Instone Brewer. One is like much longer, like three times longer. So if you are like a total Bible geek, then you want to look for the book written by this guy, but it's much bigger and it's called Divorce and Remarriage without in the church. This is a more user-friendly one, okay? Am I making sense? But if you want to understand, and and divorce impacts a lot of us, okay? And some of, I, I would just say some of us in this room, we really need to read it because we have a misconception about what's going on. And again, it's because they're just so, their head is immersed in the Bible in a way that we're just not going to get to, okay? But divorce and remarriage in the church, because we should... People are going, you know, people, and this is where I hear the sad stories. People are going through enough when they get divorced. We shouldn't come along with incorrect biblical theology or interpretations and make matters worse. Okay, all right. All right, I want to go back to the, to the, to the rings here for a second, okay? So it's, you build a fence around a, a death, and, like a pool, because it's very dangerous, okay? But then Jesus backs up. What comes right before it? There's a natural progression here. Okay, so what comes before death and divorce? So adultery. That was, that was last week. Makes sense. Because if you have an affair, statistically speaking, good chance you're going to get divorced. Does that make sense? So Jesus makes a lot of sense. It's very practical. But what happens before adultery? Objectifying lust. Yeah, when I start objectifying, you know, people, you know, there's a good chance I'm going to have an affair. But what happens before objectifying lust? Dehumanizing words. Yes, that was Pastor Derek's sermon, I think, two weeks ago. So it really starts with words. Now, John, does it really start with words? Yes, it does. John Gottman's famous. He's a marriage expert. Dude's been around. He's, 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 he's like 40 years he's been writing books on this. He's the guy, and you've probably heard about him somewhere. He'll put probes on couples who are thinking about getting married, like they're engaged or whatever. Probes all over him and say, okay, now you guys just sit in this like make-believe room here and you just do your thing for 15 minutes just to have a conversation. And with an over 90% accuracy rate, he can say over 90% everybody, he can say they're going to make it, they're not going to make it. Now, please read his books, but you'll see top thing is words, contempt. How do you talk to each other? So Jesus is totally spot on here. It starts with words and then it goes to objectifying lust and then it goes uh, to an adultery and then the death of the relationship. Every, every relationship can function the exact same way, okay? It starts with words. Genocide. What we, we, we've studied genocide, whether it's in Rwanda or it's with Hitler. Where did it start? It started with dehumanizing words to people. Okay? We call people, or even we think, because Jesus said, even the words you think, you shouldn't even think that in your heart. That, that is what, so this is where, if you want to build the ultimate fence, then you have to start right here. Okay, so science tells us that with John Gottman, clearly. And then we've done studies on genocide, and they all say this. My gosh, does that get anybody else the way it gets me? I'm like, how did Jesus know all this stuff? 
2,000 years ago, spot on. That's where you start. You want to save your relationships, then you start right there. Now, of course, uh, building a fence, you can do a lot of practical stuff. Like there's a guy, uh, he used to be here at Grace many, many, many years ago and had a huge porn addiction and massive problems in his, in his marriage. And to this day, I get an email every single day because he signed up for uh, this thing with his... Um, with his devices. Like if he looks at anything, boom, it, it shoots me this in. And I'm still, and I haven't seen that guy in a long time, but he said, would you be my accountability partner? And so I get this thing and I, you should do that. Like whatever you need to do, what places you don't need to go, what devices you need to lock down, you should take practical steps. And along with those practical steps, you should put a fence, you should put a fence around your word. So divorce and death, where does it start? It starts in the heart. Starts in the heart. This is what Jesus says, for the mouth speaks with the heart is full of. What is your heart again, everybody? It's your brain, it's your head, it's your mind. Right here, right here, right here. You've got to get in your brain, your heart, your mind. That's where it is. Words can be very destructive. When you speak them, when you think them. When you speak them, when you think them. We got to rewire our thinking. Now, I want to show you a picture of somebody and just tell me if anybody knows uh, who this is. Anybody? Okay, well. Okay, he, he said it over here, Courtney. He's British, <laughs> Sir Paul McCartney. Now, um, what is the number one song of all time of the Beatles? I want you, I want you let me thank you. Uh, that's good, I, to keep, keep shouting it out. When I, I'll shut it down when I hear the answer given. This is a song that the BBC did a poll of both music experts and listeners, and it was voted the number one song of the entire 20th century. Okay, uh, MTV and Rolling Stone magazine said it's the number one pop song of the 20th century. This song has been covered 3,000 times. Frank Sinatra covered this song. Elvis Presley covered it. I haven't heard it yet. Thank you. Yesterday. Here's what Paul McCartney says in yesterday. He said, I said something wrong and now I long for yesterday. That's how powerful words are. Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. I said something wrong and now I long for yesterday. Now, most of us thought, you know, okay, it's him and some girlfriend or whatever it might be. Okay. But he revealed recently that when he was 14 years old, he said something mocking of his mother when they were in the backyard of their home when he was 14 years old and he mocked her. He said that, that haunted her. His, his mom, actually, she was, she was ill. She ended up dying not too long after that. And it haunted him for 10 years. And he said he woke up one morning and the whole song just kind of came pouring out after 10 years of the darkness inside of him. Words are powerful. Everybody, here's where it starts. Starts in your heart, starts in your head, starts in your brain. Not just the words you speak, but as Jesus says, what your heart is full of, what your brain is full of. Be very careful. Build a fence. Build a fence, please, around those words. Now, let's turn things around, can we? So that's very, very dark. I want to go the opposite direction. This is... Uh, message about relationship rescue. So we're going the wrong way. So let's see if we can go up here real quick and turn it around. What actually is going to turn this thing around? What's going to lead me towards life? Like again, second law of thermodynamics, everything's traveling towards death, right? The law of entropy, but God comes along. Jesus comes along. Matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus is life. So what is Jesus going to tell me that's going to turn things around? I, I want to say this because um, I'm going to show you a picture or something in just a second, but um, you might say, that's not going to work, John. And I'm just going to say, 
Yes, it is. There is so much history, so much Bible, so much science that confirms what is true. But first, I want to tell you a story. So let me show you a car. Anybody know what this car is? Beautiful car, isn't it? Okay. Uh, If anybody has a car like this in the room, I'd like to drive it. (laughs) We shared a car. Uh, Pastor Derek over here and I were in uh, at a conference in Atlanta. I don't know what is five, six, seven years ago or something like that. And a part of the conference, we didn't know this. This was just a surprise. They said, hey, we're taking all the conference attendees to the Porsche experience in Atlanta. It's right next to the airport. They have, a, they have this test track there and you're gonna get to go out on the test track and drive a Porsche. And I was so psyched. I was like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be absolutely incredible. And I said to one of the persons running the conference, I said, we're all gonna get to drive a Porsche? He said, no, dude, <laughs> we're not gonna let you drive that Porsche, man. We don't have that much money in insurance. But what we're gonna do is, is we're gonna allow you to get in the car with a professional driver and they're gonna drive you around the track. I'm like, that's lame. You know? <laughs> So I wasn't looking forward to it. Okay, but I was wrong. I was 100% wrong, 100% wrong because, you know, I would have probably driven the car around the track. I don't know. Either I'd crash it or I'd be going 80 miles an hour or something like that, okay? But the professional driver's going 110. They drive this track all the time and it was wild. I mean, just go. And here's the thing that got me, everybody. I thought I'd be very impressed with the acceleration I was totally, but when we went down this straightaway at 110 miles an hour into this real sharp turn, and I'm seeing this turn come at us very, very fast, what impressed me far more with than the acceleration was the deceleration. The stopping power of these cars is phenomenal. Oh, this is why I bring this up. What is going to stop us that we're running headlong towards death? Everybody, what has the actual power to do that? And I just... I need you to just work with me here for a second because what I'm getting ready to say is, no, man, that's not going to work. This is tried, true, proven to work. It's what the Bible is based on so much. What's going to turn it around? And it's this word. We brought up this word last week, but it's a word repentance. Repentance. Now, here's the thing about the word repentance. Many of us hear that word as a shame word or a blame word, but that word is neither. It is a brain word, not a blame word. Please, this is simple language here, and they understood this, okay? It's not our language, it's not our culture, but again, the Bible wasn't written in English or our culture, and this word means to turn around mentally, turn things around, all right? This is what Jesus talks so much about. Matthew talks so much about repentance leading up to the Sermon on the Mount. And then right before the Sermon on the Mount, he puts these words in the mouth of Jesus Christ. Matthew 4, 17. Repent. What does that mean? This is the amplified version. It means to change your mind for the better. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. Change your mind. Because the kingdom's right here. Like what God wants for you is right here. It's at hand, but you got to change your mind. So what Jesus is saying here, I've got to get into your hearts and your minds and your brains. I got to get into your head in order to turn things around. This is where life starts. It starts in our brains and turning things around. The Bible maintains this focus on the turning around of our thinking, the transformation of our thoughts on the first page, and it continues all the way to the end. Here's what Proverbs says, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else? 
Guard my heart. What's my heart? In Hebrew, your heart is your head. Your heart is your brain. Your heart is your mind. Above all else, guard that. Guard that. Guard your words. Guard it. If you want to change your life, you have to change your words. Look what 2 Corinthians 10 says. Paul writing says, we live in this world, but we don't fight our battles in the same way the world does. Really, Paul? How do we fight our battles, Paul? The weapons we use are not human ones. Well, then tell me what they are. Our weapons have power from God and can destroy the enemy's strong places. How, Paul? We destroy what? people's arguments and we tear down every proud what ideas the bible introduced a set of ideas that the world had never imagined ever set toward us right god created every single person in the image everybody's to be honored everybody's to be respected everybody's to be loved right no one thought of that no one thought of that. That's what it is. We tear down every proud idea that raises itself against the knowledge of God. We also do what? We capture every thought. And then we make it give up and obey Jesus Christ. There's a natural progression towards death. And it's actually the ideas in our minds that the word of God presents to us. We are a society that values equality today. And here's the reason why. We have no other example in history about an idea being presented like that. So life starts in our hearts. Now, um, I'm going to show you a couple books. The first one I showed you is last week. If you're like a science person and you want to see the data, Altered Traits is, is, is the first book. We showed it last week, okay? The science is overwhelming. Like, okay, thank you, John, for saying all this from the Bible. But you have any proof outside of the Bible? Massive, massive proof. Altered Traits is the first one. Here's the second one that I didn't talk about last week. The Molecule More is written by a GW professor right down the street here. Fascinating. And if you read it, wait till you get to the political part. Oh my gosh, we don't want to bring up politics, but um, he gets into it and wow, just a stunner about how we think and we act and excellent books. So both of those books are just absolutely uh, fascinating and they're backing up everything, confirming all of the stuff that Jesus talks about, okay? So um, let's, uh, let, let's look at how, how it works, okay? So let's, we don't want to build a fence around this, but we want to head towards life. So it starts with repentance. It starts with you changing your mind, right? Don't, don't change your behaviors, change your mind, and then your mind will change your behaviors by meditating on God's word. So what, where do we go from there? Well, the Bible repeatedly, repeatedly calls us towards meditation or mindfulness, okay? And we talked a lot about that last week. And what, where does the Bible say all this ends? Jesus said, Jesus is life. Jesus is the wisdom that's come down from God. So this is where it all starts. And you're like, oh man, I don't think so, okay? But, but the Bible says that this has more power than a Porsche to, to stop our lives that are hurtling out towards disaster. So I want to remind you of three things, and I want to show you one thing about what they really, really knew to be very true. So I want to remind you of the one, two, three from last week, and we're going to try to do this again, okay? Number one, pay attention. Shema is one of the most important words in the entire uh, Bible. It means to pay attention. Jesus prayed the Shema. It's a prayer. He prayed it twice a day, at least every single day of his life. The word Shema means to pay attention. And I said it last week. We live in a very distracted society. Okay, The average American spends 47% of their waking hours not having any idea what we're doing. And we love to talk about multitasking. Oh, I'm a great multi. Anybody here a great multitasker? 
Okay, that's, it, it's, it's impossible. There's no such thing as multitasking. What you're happening with your brain is your brain's going boom, 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 one thing to the other. And here's what you'll read in these books, okay? And it reminds me a lot of Cain, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, Genesis 4. Um, a, a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. So I know, like, like I can't multitask because I'm just not that smart, but Krista can do it like crazy. But here's the thing. A wandering mind, a mind that's going bam, 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 is an unhappy mind. Quit making your mind unhappy, okay? And it really brings home this famous verse, be still and know that I'm God. Okay, so the second thing is what? It's to breathe. And I said it last week, I'm not a breather. Well, I breathe, but you know I mean? My family that I grew up, we're not like, that's just not us. That's That's not us. But when I realize that the word for Holy Spirit is the Hebrew word for Ruach, and the word for Ruach means to breathe, and there's a lot of breathing, and Jesus breathes on his disciples the breath of life, I'm like, wait a minute. And then you read the science behind it, and then when you concentrate, you slow down, and you breathe, it prepares your mind to be transformed. Ah, that's very good. We won't go more, but I will in the future on this. And then finally, fill your mind with the word of God. Now, here's what they knew, and here's what I want us to think about in conclusion. Here's what they knew. They were not confused. We are confused today. Clearly, clearly, we are so confused today. There was an article done on Grace just recently, and somebody wrote in the caption, you know, uh, beneath this news article that came out. Um, it was about the church. It's like, it's shocking that in 2024, we have so, ment- so many mentally ill people. Okay, why is that saying? Saying that people who believe in God or believe in the Bible are just nuts. Okay, we're mentally, we're mentally ill. People don't understand that this is calling for equality and justice and honor and respect. We are confused about that. They were not confused about that. Okay, so here's what I'd like you to think about filling your mind. Last week it was breathe, okay, and then fill your mind with um, nothing will separate me from the love of God. Today, I would like to focus on, on this verse from, from basically from Romans 12, 10. Honor one another above yourselves. That's how you build a fence around your mind. So you just pray three minutes a day. You breathe. And on the way out, honor others above myself. Can we try that real quick? So if you just breathe, prepare your mind and breathe out. I want to honor others today above myself. I want to breathe I want to honor others above myself. That's how the Bible says it's done. That's how we transform our thinking. It'll change everything. Now, I want to end with something that's really important because I've been, a, I've been hinting at this for a lot, okay? They would never take a verse in isolation. I want to show you a picture, everybody. This is a picture of the Bible right there. This is something they knew and they understood and it's something that our culture for the most part does not understand and we must stop it immediately. We like to take little tiny verses in isolation and build a whole belief system on it. Everybody, this is the Bible. There's almost 65,000 cross references in the Bible. You never take a verse in isolation because more than likely it leads to two, three, four, five, six, seven other verses. And there's a wealth of information. Like, so when I read this verse about divorce, why would you take it in isolation? They're all thinking, oh yeah, it means this and it means this and it means this and that's how I interpret it. I never, this is biblically, this is called intertextuality and I never gave a thought to intertextuality until somebody said, oh no, that's how you interpret the Bible. That's how you, that's how you, that's how you understand it. It will change your life. 
And too many people have read these verses about divorce and it all, it's just screwed everything up. But how you avoid screwing everything up is you understand that's how the Bible works. And they knew that. And that's why it changed so much. So they're thinking of different passages that talk about honoring people and respecting people and lifting people up. And one of the main passages they're thinking about is this whole section of scripture in Deuteronomy 21 to 24. That passage starts off with something very fascinating. I want to read it to you, okay? It's in Deuteronomy chapter 21. And you're going to hate it. When you go out to war against your enemies and the Lord your God gives them into your hand and you take them captive and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and you desire her, take her to be your wife and bring her to your home, to your house. She shall shave her head and pare her nails and she shall take off the clothes in which she's been captured and shall remain in your house and lament her father and her mother a full month. After that, you go into her and be your husband. She's gonna be your wife. And if you no longer delight in her, you shall let her go where she wants, but you shall not sell her for money, no shall you treat her as a slave since you have humiliated her. What is it that they know? Because we kind of don't like that passage. For us Bible people like me, we either like, oh, well, okay, well, it's so much better than the other countries around them because they just, I mean, they just did horrible things. That's better. It's not good enough for us, but that's better. Or if I'm a Bible nerd, I'm like, well, I just choose not to read the passage. I don't really know what it means. You know, and it just... They're doing the best they can, but Jesus is basing, Jesus is basing what he's saying on these words. This is where it all tracks back to this whole section in Deuteronomy. Jesus loved the book of Deuteronomy. He's quoting it. So what in the world does it mean? How is this going to help us out? Everybody, please do not read verses in isolation. I want you to look at the very beginning of this. It says, when a man goes to war and he sees a woman and he takes a woman. See and take, see and take, see and take. Where's that coming from? Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve see the tree and they take from the tree and it kills their relationship. And then we're all suffering. Ever since. That's, that's the opening page of the Bible. They see and take, see and take. Abraham sees Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, and takes her. David sees Bathsheba and he takes her. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the fact that if you are a Bible believer, you have to honor and respect people above yourselves. And by the way, in the Bible, you never take a wife. Never. Wives are a gift. A lot of times in weddings, I'll joke around, you know, when people get to the end and the couple chooses the verse or whatever. And I say, now I'll look right at the husband. And I say, you know what Proverbs 18, 22 says? And, you know, I only do it if I know the husband's a good sport. If I don't think he is, I'll never bring it up. Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from God. Favor means God is smiling on you. He who finds a wife. And then I'll look at the wife and say, there's no corresponding verse for you. You never read in the Bible, she who finds a husband finds a good thing. So I'll say, we have no idea what you found here. (laughs) So what do we know? We know that women... We know that women, in the the record of the Bible, because you read the divorce thing by Jesus, you read this passage, you're like, oh, yeah, man, love you. Oh, no, 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 no. You've read it wrong. You've totally misunderstood this. This is elevating women to such an honored position. Like you've You've received this incredible gift. God's smiling on you. You should be jumping up, and you should treat this gift with so much respect. See, everybody, this is written in a world where women were looked down upon. 
Not only could not vote, they can do a lot of stuff. And this is this in, is in this culture, and they're like, oh my gosh, man, you're gonna you're gonna tell us we got to do all that. We today we say we honor all people. We just don't live by it, but we say we do. And that whole idea came from right here. So I want to encourage you here in the end. Please be very, very careful how you read and interpret the Bible. There are a lot of covenants. So we say this is the Old Testament, New Testament. The word testament means covenant. The whole Bible, you read. If you love the Bible, this whole thing is a covenant, okay? And there's tons of covenants from the ancient Near East. And they're all king to king. Top of the pyramid to top of the pyramid. Top of the pyramid to top of the pyramid. We only found one that's not. We only found one. Only found one that's not. And it's between a king, God, Yahweh, and all people, including the people at the bottom of the pyramid. What do you think the Bible is about? If you come across something that confuses you, I don't like that. That doesn't seem equal. That doesn't seem fair. You know you've read it wrong. There's only one covenant we found in the entire ancient Near East that is between God and the person that's lowest on the totem pole, the person that is the most powerless. There's only one There's only one. If you will begin to build a fence around your minds today, transforming your thinking to honor all people above yourselves, it will begin to change your world. Now, we've talked about some tough stuff today. So I want to let you know our prayer team is going to be over here. A topic like divorce is very sad. And it all starts with dishonor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your patience with us as we, as we try to understand your word and understand these incredible words of Jesus. Um, Lord, I want to ask that you be with those in this room today that are hurting very, very badly. I want to ask for your healing hand and your strength and your power. We really, really, really need you, God. In Christ's name.